Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We have uh, sort of an unusual program today because we have actually two guests. We have Josh Stein, who is our Attorney General, the Honorable Josh Stein, and uh, we'll be talking with him about a number of things. And then also, uh, by the way, one of those things will be the Safe Safe Child Act. And in that regard, we will have the Executive Director of Safe Child, Kristen Duranger, will also be on this program. So it's a little unusual this week, but... uh, uh, our producer has promised me that he will get it all done, and I, I have great confidence in his ability, even uh, though he is from Florida. Uh, well, uh, uh, Attorney General Stein, thank you for being with us, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to the safe child part in just a few moments, but let's talk, generally speaking, about the other things that are going on in the sure. Attorney General's office right now. Don, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good, good. I, I'm behaving. And, uh, <laughs> Glad to hear it. Uh, well, we've got a lot going on at the Attorney General's office. Uh, we're focused on keeping people safe. Uh, we're working hard with the legislature to make sure we can get the money necessary so that we can eliminate the backlog of untested sexual assault kits. North Carolina, uh, it's unacceptable, has the largest number of untested kits in the country that we know of, about 15,000 kits. And We've already started raising grant money to outsource the kits, but we we need the legislature to step up, and I'm optimistic that they will. Um, We're also continuing our fight against this opioid epidemic that is devastating lives and and communities in in North Carolina. We've just rolled out, and I want to thank you all for your partnership on this, the More Powerful NC uh, Public Education Initiative, and the website's morepowerfulnc.org. It has great information for people about what are opioids? What's the facts? What can people do who want to help? Uh, and if somebody is struggling out there with addiction, where they can go to get the treatment they need to turn their lives around. This uh, is one of those things that just sort of slipped up on us, didn't it? It, it, it absolutely no. did. It was, a, it was long in the making. It was about 20 years in the making in terms of the way the pharmaceutical companies tried to influence the medical community and the prescriptions just rose and rose and rose. And almost in a one-to-one correlation, as prescriptions increased, so did overdose deaths. It is a, a, a function of overprescribing. And so we've worked hard. We've changed North Carolina's laws to address overprescribing. Uh, I am also leading a multi-state investigation into the, drug, the role of the drug companies because millions of people were becoming addicted to the drugs. At the same time, these folks were making billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so I want to make sure they're held accountable. Well, one of the things that uh, yeah, we're in the advertising business, yep. and so therefore we, uh, you know, make our living by selling advertising. But one of the things that bothers me about uh, drug companies advertising is it puts the doctor in an unusual position because the viewer or the uh, listener to an ad will hear something and it sounds good, so they go to the doctor and say, "What about this medicine?" Well, what's the doctor going to do? Say, "No, I'm not going to give it to you." And if the person's in pain, making a big scene in their office is very hard for the doctors. So I agree. U.S. I, is one of two countries in, this, in the world that has advertising for pharmaceuticals. The other is New Zealand. It will not surprise you that we prescribe more opioids per capita than any other country by far, like five times what they do in Europe, ten times what they do in Japan. Uh, and the other thing is, is our health care costs are much more as a, a percentage of our GDP than any other nation. We're about 17, 18 percent. 
and the primary driver of increasing healthcare costs is pharmaceuticals. Now, drugs can be life-changing for people who have particular illnesses, but there is a direct relationship between advertising to people and how much money we spend on drugs. Well, it's it's just really interesting how this, and it's not just the opioid uh, medications, it's all these. Everything. Yes, and the doctor really gets in a unique position because the guy goes in and says, you know, I see this wonderful thing that's going to cure my whatever. And the doctor says, well, I'm not really sure about it. And then they look at him like, well, I saw this and I read this. And, of course, you've got the same ads in the Reader's Digest and the newspapers as well. And if you read them all, it just sounds like it's a wonderful drug. But the doctor knows best. Yep, yep, yeah. I agree with you. Well, it, it's interesting. And so, uh, I, you know, I, for one, and as I said, we're in the advertising business, but I would like to see the uh, – prescription uh, drug ads stopped. I, I just think it's, it yeah, puts us in a bad position as, as being a provider of advertiser. I mean, one of the best parts of our Constitution is the First Amendment and the right to speech. And that has been interpreted by the Supreme Court to include drug companies' ability to advertise to people. Now, they don't have to get a, a tax deduction for those advertisements. I mean, there are things the government could do that doesn't eliminate the speech, but we certainly don't have to subsidize the speech. The other thing that seems to be on everyone's mind these days is robocalls because yes. they, they just continue and they are so irritating. Uh, you get this local number pop up on your cell phone, you take it, and of course it's a robocall. You hit the nail on the head. I would say of the complaints I hear when I'm out there talking to people in North Carolina, it's the telemarketing. It's the unwanted calls. It's, it's spoofing. That's when they put a fake phone number on there that yep. looks like your, your sister's phone number, and it's actually just somebody marketing you something. And uh, they are an annoyance. They're an incredible annoyance, but they're also very dangerous. We, we had a, a woman contact our office from Hickory. She lost $220,000 to the scammers. And we have multiple reports of people who have lost more than $100,000. So these are really dangerous, damaging uh, crimes. And so I am leading a, a national group of attorneys general, more than 40, to engage the telephone companies because it, right now it's a technological problem. It's not a legal problem. These guys are flouting the law. It, if we could find them, we could prosecute them. So the phone companies need to give us as consumers the technology to screen these calls, to shield us from them. And they have that technology. They just need to institute it. Well, and of course, there's actually two things going on here, robocalls, but then telemarketing. Sometimes it's not a robocall, it's an actual live call. Yeah, but the um, it's the same thing. I mean, basically, most people are on the do not call list. And by the way, if any listener isn't on the do not call list, they should still get on that. Uh, and you can go to my website, ncdoj.gov, and learn how to get on the do not call list. Because legitimate telemarketers will respect your wishes. It's the criminals who don't. And so if you're if you're on the do not call list and someone's telemarketing you, by definition, they're a, a legal violator. They're a scoff law. Ignore them. Hang up on them. So and that uh, website again address for uh, getting on the do uh, on the do not call list is ncdoj.gov. Perfect. Yeah. We'll repeat that again later on if someone wants to that it's kind of easy so you may be able to just remember it. Yeah, North but, Carolina uh, Department of Justice, NCDOJ. But it is dot gov. So. Yep. Uh, well, you know, it, it's interesting how people uh, come up with all these different schemes, and uh, 
the thing that bothers me most is they very often call the elderly who are lonesome. Yes. They welcome the call because they're lonesome. They're lonesome, and, and culturally they're more respectful. You know, a young person, if they get a call from a telemarketer, they don't have any hesitation to hang up the phone. But a lot of seniors weren't raised that way, and so they don't want to hang up the call. Uh, they're, they have more money because they've retired, they have a pension, so they have more resources that makes them an attractive target to the criminals. Uh, they're lonesome, as you said, and, and sometimes they can be more gullible uh, because they have more faith in, in human character. Which is a dangerous thing. People are dangerous. Skepticism. The one thing, if you work in consumer protection, which I've done for many, many years, it is skepticism. Do not believe that because somebody calls you or emails you, that they are who they say they are. You have absolutely no idea who they are. Now, we had all sorts of examples of that during our recent natural disasters, and a lot of people have been taken there. Yeah. Has that, uh, is that on the de- decline, or what are you doing there? Well, we've been working really hard. Uh, obviously, south, southeastern North Carolina was devastated by the hurricanes last fall. And uh, it is uh, not only do you lose your home, and you have trees all over your property, but then these price gougers come in, typically from out of state, to take advantage of you at your most desperate moment. And that's why we have a law in North Carolina that outlaws price gouging. We have uh, prosecuted seven cases against price gougers, and we've reached four resolutions so far. And all in, we've gotten about a half a million dollars in recovery for victims, uh, and we've shut down these operators so that they cannot do business in North Carolina anymore. Uh, And what I want people to know is, when these storms hit or when the governor declares an emergency triggering our price gouging law, we will aggressively enforce the law. The vast majority of businesses don't do that. They want to help their people who are struggling. You know, They want to keep their doors open to serve the community. But there's always going to be some folks out there who take advantage. And if they do know that my office is going to come after them and come after them hard. Well, and of course, everybody's in a hurry to get back to normal. And so somebody shows up and says, we can do this for you and we can get it done now. And this is the price. They don't bother to get a second bid. Well, but a lot of times they'll do bait and switch. They'll say, yeah, the price is $4,000. We have one of these cases, $4,000. They then submitted a bill for seven. Then they submitted one for 12. So it went from four to 12 uh, for one tree. That's outrageous. Well, it is. And uh, of course, you know, it's, there is, we have to cut some slack to the companies because in many cases they are paying overtime and extra, and they've got extra expense of, of, of setting up a crew in an out of town. A that's all, over, that's yeah. all contemplated by yeah. our law. Yes. That if you have legitimate business expenses where you're spending more money in order to provide a service or offer a good, then that's legit. It's when you're out there exploiting people's desperation, that's against the law. Another problem that doesn't seem to go away is payday loans. And yep. this is... Uh, uh, a case where there's extraordinarily high interest rates and things of this nature. What's what's going on there? Well, North Carolina, about 15 years ago, uh, took the strong action to run these guys out of the state of North Carolina. Payday lenders really legalized loan sharks. Oftentimes, they charged higher interest rate than a loan shark would at a workplace. 500% for a, a loan for somebody who's struggling. Uh, it's in- completely exploitative and illegal because North Carolina sets an interest rate cap of 36%. So we just had another uh, another case. It, it, this was an online lender. 
They did three violations. One, it was lending to people in North Carolina without being registered as a lender. Two, it was charging upwards of 200% for a loan when the cap's 36%. And three, they were demanding title of the automobile to guarantee the loan, which that's car title lending, and that's illegal in North Carolina too because it, it can really put a poor person behind the eight ball when they lose their car. So we've taken them to court, and so far yesterday the court issued a temporary order to shut them down. Our guest is Attorney General Josh Stein, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. This year, the North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem Program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. The Guardian Ad Litem Program provides trained, independent advocates to represent abused and neglected children in court proceedings and to help make sure they have a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. Volunteerism is the cornerstone of the Guardian Ad Litem Program, and volunteers are needed. If you have just a few hours each month to rise to the challenge and volunteer, please call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem Program. Be the voice for a child. Some teens have trouble just making it to graduation. My brother, I was taking care of him when I was three, four years old. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the same with yeah. you because there's so many kids, the kids that you yeah. have to you have to grow up real At fast, a young age, real yeah. fast. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that I'll be able to maintain my grades and stay in school. It's a mind thing. You have to have your mindset that hey, if this is what you want to do, go for it. Find some more support and do what you have to do. Give your friends the boost they need to graduate. Go to boostup.org and send a message in your own words. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, the Attorney General, the Honorable Josh Stein, is our guest. And uh, one of the things, uh, we also have another guest coming up in just a few moments uh, to talk about the Safe Child Act. So why don't you sort of give us a little bit of background on what that is and, uh, and where that's going and so forth. Sure. Thanks, Don. The Safe Child Act is exactly what its name says. It is about keeping kids safe. And what we've learned is a lot of this came out of the grand jury investigation that happened in Pennsylvania last year. It was focused on the Catholic Church, 
but this is not a problem unique to any institution. It, it happens, child sexual abuse happens wherever kids and adults intermix. Uh, obviously, the, the, the vast majority of people who work with children, whether they're teachers or counselors or whatever, are motivated only by good. They want to help children grow and develop and live rich and happy lives, but there are always going to be some predators out there. And what we have to do is protect kids from predators to the extent we possibly can. And if it ever happens, make sure that that child has every opportunity to achieve justice. That's what the Safe Child's about. Well, uh, thank you for that uh, uh, sort of background on that. And uh, we're going to turn now to introduce Christian Duranger, who okay. is the uh, executive director of Safe Child, and she's been in that role since 2015, and we'll get a lot more detail about what's going on in that area. So thank you very much. Don, thanks. Well, we've switched chairs now, and we have in the hot seat now Christian Duranger, who is the executive director of Safe Child, and the attorney general wanted very much for you to be on the same program because he's so interested in this Safe Child Act. And uh, we want to talk to you, though, not only about the act, but also what Safe Child does. You've been the executive director since 2015, and I must say that uh, I've known you since you were a puppy. Yeah. Uh, because you were a great friend of my daughter, and uh, uh, we've uh, so we've known each other a long time. Uh, so anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about what Safe Child is and what the organization does and a little bit of background on that. And then we will get back more in detail in another segment in the particular act that we're talking about and what it hopes to achieve. So give us some background on Safe Child. I'll be happy to. And thank you so much for having me today. It's an honor to join you and obviously an honor to follow our attorney general who speaks so eloquently. Um, and it's always a privilege when um, there's interest in the welfare of the children of Avoid County in our great state of North Carolina. Safe Child um, is our local child abuse prevention agency and the heart and soul of Safe Child's mission is embedded in its name. It's actually an acronym that stands for Stop Abuse for Every Child and the organization was founded in 1992 to just do exactly that to make sure that children can have happy and healthy um, childhoods and develop into um, thriving adults in our community. Well, abuse, uh, there, there's so many different forms of abuse. I mean, there's physical abuse, there's mental abuse, there's uh, uh, sexual abuse. I mean, uh, so how do, you, how do you cope with all of this? And, and do you have different folks who work in different areas? And essentially, uh, where do people get help? Mm -hmm. And you've identified exactly um, the complexity of child abuse, um, and, and part of the complexity is there are many different types. We've got physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and neglect. And the unfortunate part is that oftentimes children suffer from more than one type of abuse. And so our staff is very well trained to um, not only recognize concerning um, symptoms um, that they see in children's behavior, um, but also to what to do in those situations. We're often on the receiving end, so we as an organization are helping children that are in a difficult situation. We're helping caregivers um, make good decisions on behalf of their children and trying to navigate the joys and the challenges of parenthood. 
Um, but one of the things that we work really hard at outside of our direct services and programs at Safe Child is to helping our community be aware of what exactly child abuse and neglect is, how to recognize it, and how to respond when they have a concern about the welfare of a child. Well, now, I've heard this uh, numerous times that p- uh, children that are abused turned out uh, later on to be more likely to be those who actually abuse again. So is this a sort of a learned behavior or is it a reaction or, or, or what, what studies have shown uh, causes that effect? We know from experience that we parent how were we, we witnessed our own parents mm-hmm. um, raise us. And so if um, children grow up in a toxic environment, if children grow up with parents that do not know how to discipline without using corporal punishment, if t- children are growing up in an environment where there is domestic violence, where there is um, verbal abuse, um, there's harsh punitive measures for correcting their behavior, and there's never any inter- intervention, there's never any experience of them seeing a safer, more holistic, nurturing way to raise children, then they are very likely to repeat that pattern as adults when they themselves are parents. Now, uh, so what role does the school system have in all this? Because uh, school teachers have daily contact with children. Uh, So when they expect there's something going on, what do they do? Because, you know, you can get in trouble for turning somebody in if it's wrong. You can. um, You know, that, and that's one of the things that sometimes is, a barrier to people making a report of concern to child welfare or to law enforcement. They worry themselves that they are going to be sanctioned for making what they would consider a false report. The reality is the laws in the state of North Carolina is that we are all mandated reporters and that you cannot be penalized for making a report. The reason for making a report is to share concerns with those that are legally responsible for doing an investigation to determine is there anything to truly be concerned about. So back to our school system, particularly in Wake County, we are the largest public school system in the state of North Carolina, serving more children than any other public school system in the state. I think we hover around the 13th or 14th largest in the United States of America. Um, Most of reports of concern of child abuse and neglect do come from schools and we're grateful for that because it is our teachers it is our principals it is our school counselors that spend the most amount of time with school-aged children outside of the home and we want to make sure that they are well trained to recognize when there are concerns about a child and it can be difficult to recognize those things because some child abuse and neglect um, is not on the surface. You can't see it just with your eyes. You have to know that child. And who else better to know whether or not there's been a pattern of behavior change with a child that's not like the child that arrived in the first day of school than that classroom teacher. Now, children naturally uh, want to love their parents. Mm -hmm. So do they defend their parents very often and sort of ignore the abuse? And, And how do you deal with that? It is a very difficult situation for a child to be in. Um, From my experience working at Safe Child as the executive director, but also longer than that for 14 years in different roles, um, children forever love their parents. It doesn't matter 
um, sometimes the um, pain that a parent can inflict. And so it's very difficult for a child to have the empowerment and the voice to share what's happening to them when it's inappropriate, when it's hurtful. It's very difficult for a child to do that. Do do children very do children ever turn uh, seek help uh, either through their school teacher or through law enforcement? Does that happen very often? It does happen. Uh, we um, work with the school system here with our program called Funny Tummy Feelings, where we help teach children about their emotions. We help empower children to speak up when there's something that gives them a funny tummy feeling that makes them feel that emotion of yuck or fear or that they're scared um, and they're confused about what's going on in their life. We help children identify who are the special people in your life that you live with or maybe outside of your home that you can turn to, that you can speak to, that you know are going to take care of you. And we give children the permission to say no. Um, that it's not blind obedience. Children need to know that they can say no when someone's doing something to them that could be harmful or asking them to do something that could be harmful. Well, obviously, there's a problem when the abuse happens, but also there's long-term effects. How do people who have been abused as children and perhaps uh, have never dealt with it, how do they get help as they become adults? It is... um, normal for children to suffer in silence for years, even into adulthood. Um, It is unfortunate that adults are disclosing for the first time years after their abuse what's happened to them. And what we know when children are suffering um, as they're developing, it actually affects their brain development. And these are long-term, lasting, detrimental effects to their development as children and into an adulthood. And it is a direct correlation between um, physical health problems that they are likely to experience much more at a higher percentage when they're adults. It has a lot to do with other um, maladaptive behavior um, that they might um, engage in as far as drug use, substance abuse, Um, mental health problems, and long-term consequences is when a brain um, is in a rested state of development and is not able to fully develop um, as it should, then you cannot be a healthy adult um, as the journey of life continues. Uh, we've got lots of other pro- uh, questions, and we're going to have another full segment on uh, this uh, this very serious problem. But let me ask you this. Do you think the problem's getting better or worse? I think uh, we have a lot of work to still do. Yeah. I witness incredible um, progress in our community and in our state and in our country, but we still have a lot of work to do. Kristen Durange is our guest. She is the executive director of Safe Child of, of Wake County, and we're going to talk about uh, the other programs that perhaps exist in other parts of the state. And we'll do that when we return with our next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. 
I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has mom my. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. I'm sorry, sir, but it appears as though your credit card has been declined. Did everyone hear that? This person right here, credit card declined. If we can please have an awkward silence. Oh, I'm with a date here. Look, so I'm late on a few payments. I'll make it up next month. Promise. He promises to pay it all back next month. Can we have an aww? aww. Putting more on your card than you can afford to spend can lead to even bigger problems, like public humiliation. Don't let your credit put you in a bad place. Go to controlyourcredit.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Christian Duranger is our guest. She's the executive director of Safe Child, which is a Wake County organization that deals uh, with uh, advocacy for abused children. Uh, both emotional, physical, sexual, and so forth, and all the problems that uh, come about because of that. Christian, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what uh, what happens in, in counties that are not fortunate enough to have an organization like Safe Child? Who's taking care of this problem in, say, very small counties in North Carolina? Because the the amount of abuse is probably the same percentage-wise in a very small county as it is in Wake County. Mm-hmm. So what we know is that in the state of North Carolina, there are over 130,000 cases of child abuse investigated each year. Um, And right here in Wake County, we are right around 7,000 to 8,000 is is our percentage of that total number for the state. Uh, We do have a state organization called Prevent Child Abuse of North Carolina that works really hard at growing the network statewide to make sure there are other organizations in North Carolina similar to Safe Child to help prevent and eliminate child abuse. We also have another state organization called Children's Advocacy Centers of North Carolina that is additionally growing the network of children's advocacy centers in our state so we can provide local where children live medical evaluations when there are concerns of sexual and physical abuse. So we have emotional abuse, we have physical abuse, we have sexual abuse. Uh, I guess the treatment for each of those is somewhat different and yet somewhat the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we know is that when there are um, well-researched five protective factors in place, the likelihood of child abuse and neglect can decrease. And those protective factors are things that we want to make sure that families and community have so they can deal with the adversity of life. And when children experience adverse childhood, um, you know, consequences of just being, you know, growing up in our communities, that we can actually mitigate those things and we can build their resilience and we can build a resilient adult community to bounce back from that. Um, To your question as far as how do we address the different types of abuse, when you think about physical abuse, what is the reason that a parent might lash out and cause 
an intentional physical injury of a child. Um, It has a lot to do with they don't have the parenting knowledge or education that they need to have as a parent. Therefore, they have inappropriate expectations of what a child can do at a certain stage of development, and they can easily get frustrated and easily lose their their temper and lose their patience. Um, And depending upon the age of the child, those physical injuries can be everything from life-threatening and what causes many of our child fatalities. We've already had two as a result of abuse and neglect in Wake County since 2019 have started, to long-term lasting effects where children are actually in residential care because their physical injuries, they survived. However, they cannot live independently with their family or anywhere else. And so um, parents, um, you know, also lose a lot of sleep when you come home from the hospital and you have a baby up all night long. Um, It's really difficult to get the sleep that you need to be the patient, nurturing parent that children need us to be. Or parents don't have the social connections and the social support that they need as a buffer. They don't have anyone to turn to when they need a break. Um, Yeah, one of the things we mentioned earlier in the program was the fact that uh, uh, adults who at the time of their youth perhaps were victims of either emotional or physical or sexual abuse uh, tend sometimes to repeat that action. The opposite also happens with some parents who go through that, and then they say, this is never going to happen to my children. Mm-hmm. So what, 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 what the difference is, why do some people say, wait a minute, I learned from that, and that's not going to be repeated, and others actually repeat it? I don't think it's divine intervention, and I don't think it happens through osmosis. No. I think there has been at least one person in their life that has helped them feel security, that has helped them feel unconditional love, that has nurtured them and believed in them and and developed their full capacity to be a caring, attentive adult. And until at least that one person comes along in a child's life, it is near impossible for them to redirect their path as an adult and to practice healthier parenting practices later on in life. So I do think it is someone that has come along that has helped that child know that life can be different, that they don't have to live in fear, and that they are good and wholesome and deserve um, to be loved and cherished. So when parents notice something is funky going on with their children and, and the parents themselves are not involved in it, how do they start a conversation with their children, say, about sexual abuse that may be happening by a third party outside the home and the child uh, doesn't feel secure in talking about it? How, how do you start that conversation? Thank you for that question because I think we as parents, and I'm a mom of four children, so I speak to it from personal experience, and I know that you have your sweet, um, beautiful daughter and grandchildren. You know, we, we can easily get caught up in um, teaching them normal developmental milestones of how to tie your shoe, how to get dressed, how to pump your legs in the swing so you can go higher. And then we get into the, you know, real intentional focus of reading and writing and math and all the academic things and then how to play soccer and how to swim, all of these things that we want our children to learn. 
But there, there is a teachable moment that parents cannot be remiss about. And it is talking to children about how to protect themselves, even though we as adults are ultimately the ones that should be responsible for that. We do know that children need to also know um, how to identify situations that are unsafe, what to do when, um, and, and how to respond and who to reach out to. And, and this is not a one-and-done conversation. This is a conversation that a parent needs to start very early on, even before they start kindergarten. And that conversation changes. You know, I still have conversations with my 20-year-old son who's in college. Um, but you continue to have that conversation with them. You let them know that even if I'm not the one they want to talk to, they need to talk to someone about what's going on with them. You teach them appropriate boundaries. You teach children that um, there are rules for their body and that no one should be allowed to break those rules and what those private spaces and parts are in their, their body. Um, you also, it's really, really important that children learn the right words for their private parts. Oftentimes, children do tell adults that there is a part of their body that's hurting because someone has done something inappropriate, but they're using a word that doesn't mean anything to me or doesn't mean what it should mean to the adult that's receiving that information. Therefore, they don't respond um, the way that they should. So helping children learn the right words for their private parts is really key. So I've got a note here. Is uh, so I, I'm getting ready to learn something here, of which I do all throughout the entire program. What are ACEs? A C E S. We are we are queens and kings in the world um, of acronyms. So I'm glad that you asked that question. I mentioned it a little bit early, but ACEs are adverse is for the A, childhood is for the C. And E is for the experiences. So adverse childhood experiences. And these are experiences children may have while they're growing up of extreme adversity that, as we mentioned earlier, that can dramatically change the development of their brain and therefore can have a lasting long-term impact own their life as they move forward and decrease their actual life expectancy if the proper intervention is not, um, you know, given to this child. Now, I know you've, I guarantee you, I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee you that you've got a website and it probably has parenting tips and resources on it. How do people access that? Safe Child's website is safechildnc, you need to put the NC as North Carolina in the end of it, dot org. There are many parenting resources in our website. All of our direct services for families and children in our community are on our website. There is more information about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, in our website and how to build a resilient um, child, youth, adult, and larger community. And uh, then uh, I've got uh, another question uh, about uh, the support of 
Safe Child, where does your support come from? And if people want to be involved in supporting your cause, how do they get involved? Safe Child is a nonprofit, and we have just. It's not a state, it's not a state it's organization. It's not a state organization. It is a nonprofit um, organization that um, exists solely through the funding of unrestricted um, funds as well as restricted funds that can be government funds that come to us through things like the Governor's Crime Commission. Um, and, you know, we've just approved a $2 million budget for our next fiscal year. And so while we provide our direct services and programs to our community free of charge, it is not inexpensive to prevent child abuse. But it is the most important job that we have and it is worth the financial investment and the support from this community. Well, Kristen, we certainly appreciate your being with us. Kristen DeRange, who is the Executive Director of Safe Child. Again, that uh, organization's website is safechildnc.org, safechildnc.org for more information. And we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was .5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or a consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. We have enjoyed our conversation with both Kristen and with the Attorney General, Josh Stein, and uh, so we're going to sort of wrap things up for this edition. Uh, Safe Child, as we've been discussed, is a very interesting act and one that you're very much behind. Yeah, and I thank Kristen and her organization for their good work on this. Basically, as the state, as parents, as adults, the most important thing we can do is keep kids safe. And we need to keep them safe wherever they are. That means at school. It means at summer camp, at Little League, when they're at a, a church youth group, Boy Scouts. And it also means online, increasingly, because so many kids spend so much of their time on the Internet. So that's what the Safe Child Act is all about. It's about keeping people safe, keeping kids safe uh, wherever they are. Um. Safe child, of course, you know, everyone's interested in their children, and uh, there are so many people that uh, 
uh, think that their children are actually a safe place and they're not. So how do parents find out more about, and we've talked to uh, Kristen about some of this, but how do parents find out more about this act and what they can do to support it? Sure. Well, all they have to do is Google the Safe Child Act in the North Carolina legislature and the bill will come up. But really what folks should do is contact their state representative and their state senator and say, this is a bill I strongly support. Um, we want to keep kids from becoming victimized. And that means working with the group organizations that engage young people. And we've actually developed some best practices for those organizations. Um, but when a tragic situation occurs, where child abuse occurs, there has to be a strong duty on that organization to report it to law enforcement and the organizations need to be uh, take effective action to partner to protect that kid and ensure that no one else gets victimized by whoever was the the perpetrator now you know there's always new products coming on the line and of course we've got uh, vaping yes or, uh, is that the right term yeah vaping yeah. or juuling is what it's commonly okay, called so now what's going on there? Well, it's a, this is another case. Actually, I brought it last week. It's against the company Juul, and it's about protecting kids again because there's this company, Juul, which if, you, if you're an adult and you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to any middle schooler or high schooler and say, tell me about Juuling, and they will tell you an earful because it is everywhere. It's only been three years, and it is mushrooming out there. Um, about a third of high schoolers report having done this. And they, they say vaping for vapor, and people hear vapor, and they're like, oh, that's water particles, no big deal. It's an aerosol, it's chemicals, and it is nicotine. Nicotine is incredibly addictive. And the potency of a Juul is more than a cigarette. So you're much more likely to end up addicting a teenager, uh, and teenagers are more susceptible to addiction, their brains are still forming so that if they become addi addicted to nicotine, then they are much more likely, seven times more likely to smoke cigarettes, but also more likely to transition to cocaine or methamphetamine or opioids or some other extremely dangerous drug. So I sued Juul because they've designed, marketed, and, and distributed these drugs to young people, and they've also misrepresented how addictive they are. So what, uh, what, what actions do you think are necessary to bring this in line, and, and is the legislature going to get involved in this? There's one thing the legislature can do, which I hope it does do, and, and there was a positive uh, step that occurred this week in Washington. And that does sound oxymoronic, that there was a positive step that occurred in Washington. <laughs> You're right. But there. this was a partnership between Republican Mitch McConnell and Democratic Tim Kaine, where they introduced a bill called T21. That means Tobacco 21. It's about setting a national age of 21 to smoke cigarettes or to use these e-cigarettes like juuling. Um, and the idea is, is we got to get it out of the high schools the same way we got liquor and alcohol out of the high schools. Uh, because as long as you have high school seniors who can go down to the convenience store and buy these products legally, they will sell them to the younger kids in the school. And I know this because I have a ninth grade daughter and she was at the Chick-fil-A near her high school and she says that an older kid comes and has a whole bag of them and is trying to sell the pods to all the kids. Uh, also, I've heard if you go into any high school uh, bathroom during a break in North Carolina, there will be vaping going on. It is everywhere. And it, the risk is that we are going to lose all gains that we've made over the last 20 years 
and cutting the number of kids who are smoking, which is one of the biggest public health victories we've had in the United States. And, of course, it's been proven so many times that uh, smoking is the cause of so many other uh, health problems that are sometimes not related to lungs at all, uh, but just general health. And so we pay a huge price for that in the cost of medical care. Oh, my God. The cost to non-smokers of smoking is immense because all of our health care costs, all of our insurance costs, uh, and not to mention – you know, the, the loss of life. We all lose people we love because of smoking. Well, we've talked a little bit earlier about robocalls and there's some work being done there and on the uh, telemarketing scams. Uh, what else is uh, uh, likely to happen in this session of the legislature that uh, affects uh, the, the uh, role of the North Carolina Attorney General? Well, one thing we're, we're pushing hard on uh, has to do, and I mentioned it at the, at the, at the top, is testing these untested sexual assault kits, and that there's so many. And the legislature, the House, had in its budget $6 million. The governor had it in his budget. The ball's now in the court of the Senate, and so I'm hoping that the Senate will join their other colleagues and and make sure that we get the money we need that we can test, uh, test these kits. So that's about keeping the public safe and delivering justice for victims and, and putting dangerous repeat sexual offenders behind bars. Uh, we've also got the Safe Child Act, which Kristen spoke about, and is, is so important to keeping our kids safe. Uh, and otherwise, the, the good people at the Department of Justice that go to work every day in the various ways to try to keep the people of the state safe. And it's an honor for me to be their colleague. Well, uh, our time is just about gone. We appreciate you and Kristen sharing these thoughts with us today. And uh, if you, by the way, if you want to get on that do not call list, it's ncdoj.gov ncdoj.gov. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that, carolinanewsmakers.com. And if you'd like to hear the segments that you might have missed in the 30-minute programs, you can do that as well. We'll be back again next week with another interesting guest, or so Jason promises me, and so we'll look forward to seeing you then. Till next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.